Welcome to the Fantasy Football Diagnostics Podcast, where we provide you with your weekly diagnosis of everything fantasy football. Whether it's season-long leagues, dynasty, DFS, or even IDP, we got you covered all season long. Let's do it. Let's do it. Let's get to it. Welcome into the Fantasy Football Diagnostics Podcast. And of course, as always, I am your host, John June, JR Football Nerd on Twitter and Instagram. Make sure you're following the show at FF Diagnostics on Twitter and Instagram. And welcome into episode 165 of the Fantasy Football Diagnostics Podcast. Thank you all for joining us today. We have a special treat for you. The first of eight divisional breakdowns. That is right. Yours truly. I've reached out to... Many fantasy analysts in the community uh, haven't reached out to all of them yet, but most of them uh, to get people who are fans of different teams throughout the uh, throughout the community uh, and get them to come here and give their perspective of their favorite team uh, from a fantasy perspective. Let them talk about all the nooks and crannies, all the nuggets that they're getting out of minicamp OTAs, all that kind of stuff. Um, mainly from a redraft perspective, but you know we touch on some dynasty and some best ball as well. Um, and again, this is the first of eight, so starting with the NFC East here. And I had some really good guests on here, uh, Jay uh, at GmenJ on Twitter. Uh, if you guessed it, he's the Giants fan. Uh, Dan Turner at Eagle at Eagle Dan FF. You guessed it, he's the Eagles fan. Um, I also brought on. Manny Chakuba, uh, at Manny Chakuba on Twitter. He is the Washington football team fan. And then last but not least, my guy Kevin Coleman, at Boys underscore 22 on Twitter. He was kind enough to talk about the Dallas Cowboys. So stick around. You're going to get all four of these conversations. Uh, this episode does run a little bit long, uh, close to the two-hour mark. So... Um, you, you know, feel free to, to break it up and listen to them in segments, but each one goes about 20 to 30 minutes. Uh, we'll do our best to keep these a little bit shorter, but hey, man, you get some, some analysts on here talking about their favorite football teams, and these conversations can go on forever. So sit back, enjoy these conversations. Again, really appreciate you checking it out, and make sure you are back with us next week as we cover the AFC East. So everyone, have a good one. Enjoy the enjoy these these interviews and we are out. So next up is a guy I've met in the community, somebody who is a, a really stand-up guy. He's really positive. Uh always, you know, every time I see him interacting with people, he's always having positive interactions. Uh he's a, he, a writer for Roto Underworld, also the co-host of The Pod with Upside. And also does some work as the director of stuff and things with the <laughs> front yard fantasy club, our fantasy crew. So um, that is Jay Felicio. Jay, welcome on, man. Thank you for having. Thank you for coming on. Thanks, Sean. I really appreciate you having me. Yeah, we've uh, we met in a retweet group and just kind of hit it off. And thank you for the the kind introduction. I really appreciate that. Uh, a little bit all over the place. Yeah, I recently started writing with Roto Underworld. Um, I've got the podcast Pod with Upside with my guy Dan Turner. We do that bi-weekly right now, which will be back next Thursday at uh, 8:30 on Going for Two Live. And then the whole uh, 
director of stuff slash things with Front Yard Fantasy is I, I hopped on with them, uh, joined the team a couple months ago in more of a behind the scenes role. It's, you know, I, I asked you to come on the show with them. Uh, it's on Monday through Friday at 3 p.m. Eastern. So I can't do that. I've got a, a Monday through Friday, eight to five job. So I can't hop on there. But I really hit it off with those guys. I, I joined the team and helping them schedule guests and do a lot of behind the stuff things. So that title just kind of encapsulated everything. So just went with that. Yeah, man, those guys are definitely fun, and and your co-host of the of the Pablo Upside, Dan Turner, he's actually going to join me later this week. Oh, and cool! So the, the when nature- he comes on, please give him crap about J Jaw. He loved J Jaw. Oh, so I love just- J Jaw too. So okay, I all right. <laughs> I can't even give him crap about that because I really love J Jaw. Okay, he was coming out of Stanford, but um, anyway, so what we're doing this week is the divisional breakdowns the start of a series and we're starting with the nfc east and the new york giants and jay here is a big time giants fan he goes by at gmen jay on twitter so you know if you if you didn't get it then we're, you obviously <laughs> understand it now he's a big time giants fan so I, I i wanted to get people from the community uh that you know have a fantasy centric background but are also fans of a football team because uh, I feel like we, you know, we tend to have different perspectives than, than, you know, national media or otherwise other fantasy analysts would. Uh, so before we dive into the fantasy, Jay, I just want to ask you, you know, what are the feelings of, of, you know, across the fan base for the New York Giants? I mean, they, they had Joe Judge in his first year led by a strong defense, went six and 10, was still good enough to, that six and 10 record surprisingly in the NFC East was still good enough to finish <laughs> second in the division. One game out of first place. Joe judge to me seems legit. Uh, Vegas has them with a seven game win total on the season and over under a seven. Uh, what are the expectations for this giants team heading into 2021? I think the seven uh, game win total projections fair. Uh, it, it depends. There's a couple of things. Uh, I do like Joe judge. I will say when we hired him, I literally said, WTF. I had no clue who he was, but it was one of those situations. The more I dug into him, the more I really liked him. You know, he got the blessing from Bill Belichick and Nick Saban. So those are those are two pretty good football coaches. So um, I really like everything he's done. He's he's from the Belichick tree, but it doesn't seem like he's trying to be Belichick. He's trying to be his own guy. Um, I'm cautiously optimistic for the first time in a long time. It's been a been a rough few years you know I can't complain too much I've got to see some Super Bowl championships some good years so I can't complain too much but um it's been pretty rough here recently um the defense obviously has been a strong suit like you said we are top 10 defense last year we spent uh second third and fourth round picks on defense you know the linebacker out of Georgia Aziz Ojolari I think I said his name right Mm -hmm. um he could have been a first round pick if it wasn't for some injury concerns so our defense got even stronger. You know, we're getting Xavier, Xavier McKinney back. Um, so I think the defense is going to be perfectly fine. The offense is where it's going to be. You know, um, it's got potential to be explosive. A lot depends on the offensive line, though. We knew it was a problem. We didn't invest a lot in the offseason. I know there was talk that we were looking at some guys in the draft and it just didn't fall. 
the way that we wanted it to. Um, Daniel Jones has got sacked 83 times over the past two years. The 31st ranked offensive line, according to Pro Football Focus. So the offensive line isn't pretty. Now, I will say they started gel at the end of the year. They started to play better. Um, so there is a little bit of hope, but that's going to be the biggest question mark. Um, and unfortunately, we've got this guy named Jason Garrett as our offensive coordinator, which I'm not too excited about. And I've yet to meet a Giants fan that's excited about that. Um, so it's really the uh, our defense is going to be fine. It's going to be how well our offense clicks is going to, you know, if we're going to be over, you know, in the playoff contention, uh, if we're going to get over that seven, you know, there's no more eight and eights. If we're going to get to that, you know, eight, and nine or if we're going to be nine and eight or, you know depends on what happens so yeah no definitely joe judge uh like i said i I like him a lot i think the most questionable thing he's done is hire and retain jason garrett as his offensive coordinator um but like you said it's going to come down to that that offensive line uh which i think you know like you said they didn't really address as much as you know maybe fans would have liked i know i expected them to address the position mainly because there was a theme this offseason, which was what they need to find out what Daniel Jones is and who he is as a player. So I have to ask you, you know, he finishes the QB 27 in, in fantasy points per game last year, averaging just 12.9 fantasy points per game. Uh, he was pegged a year two breakout after throwing 24 touchdown passes and just 12 starts as a rookie. Obviously, uh, you know, there was a bit more there with his legs averaging 30 rushing yards per game in year two, but the passing wasn't quite there that, you know, to the level that it was in year one, 11 passing touchdowns, 10 interceptions in terms of ADP, he's going off the board around the QB 25. What kind of season can fantasy managers expect from Daniel Jones? And is he somebody that you're considering a value at his current price? I definitely think the value's there. I think he's worth the risk there simply for, like you said, he can rush the ball. And when it comes to fantasy, that's that's huge. Um, he had over 400 rushing yards last year. He was top 10 in rushing for quarterback both of the past two years. Again, it comes back to the offensive line. You know, if he's getting he's turning the ball over because he's getting hit so much. Um, I will say I don't think he's has that top five potential, but I definitely think if things break right, especially with the weapons that we got, uh, he can be a QB one. You know, that would have to be the perfect scenario. I would be comfortable with him in a super flex as, you know, as my QB two or, uh, you know, I want to take a flyer on a, a, a high upside backup uh, because he's got some weapons. Now we got an alpha wide receiver in Kenny Galladay. I really love that sign signing. Um, while I don't like, where we took Kadarius Tony, I like the fit from a football perspective. You know, he could be our Curtis Samuel, our LaVisca Chenault, a guy that we can play mismatches with, put him all over the field. And like you said, Daniel Jones can run. Um, he tied Lamar Jackson and Kyler Murray for the most runs over 20 miles per hour with four last year. Uh, granted, he did fall down when he was running. You know, he ran a little too fast for himself. Um, and just to be clear, I am in no way, shape, or form trying to say that Daniel Jones is anywhere near Lamar Jackson or Kyler Murray. It's just to the to bring out the point that he is fast. He is mobile. He's basically he's an Eli Manning clone that can actually run. Um, his top speed of 21.2 is actually faster than Lamar Jackson's last year. Um, so Gettleman knows he hitched his wagon to Daniel Jones. He's he's got him some weapons. You know, we got a solid slot option with uh, Sterling Shepard. He's got a deep threat in Slayton. 
I think Ingram's out the door. I think that's why we wound up with uh, um, Kyle Rudolph. Kyle I think uh, Jason Garrett is going to, you know, make him his uh, Jason Witten in his offense. So I, th- I think where he's going right now, you could do a lot worse. Yeah, I mean, like you said, as the QB, as your QB two, or maybe even a QB three in Superflex, um, you know, I think that's pretty good value considering the guys he's going around. I mean, you know, Tua Tungavailoa, uh, Carson Wentz, Ryan Fitzpatrick. I, I mean, I probably go Ryan Fitzpatrick over Daniel Jones. Maybe just be, maybe that's the recency bias we've seen. Ryan Fitzpatrick the last couple years, um, but then Ben Roethlisberger, Zach Wilson, Derek Carr, Sam Darnold. I mean, none of these guys bring the element of the mobility that Daniel Jones does. And when I'm taking a quarterback that late, I'm looking for that upside, and that upside is going to come through those legs and a, and a blow up in in the in the pass in the passing touchdown department, right? And and Daniel Jones was a guy that had a 5.2 percent touchdown rate. As a rookie throwing, again, 24 touchdowns in 12 games, that 5.2% rate is the same rate that Justin Herbert had last year. So um, it's not out of the realm of possibility that we get some positive regression here from Daniel Jones, especially when you consider the weapons. And especially when you consider this guy coming back from his injury last year, and I'm talking about Saquon Barkley. We had high hopes for him. I know I personally had high hopes for him in 2020 because if there's one thing about Jason Garrett, he was going to hand the ball off to his RB1 and Saquon Barkley with that five point, whatever it is, yard per carry uh, could have very well had a, a monster year if, if the volume was there, but obviously suffered the ACL injury. Um, we know what kind of weapon he can be as a runner and a receiver out of the backfield. Uh, court in, in terms of ADP, I'm taking the ADP data from four for four. Uh, he's, he's going off the board as the RB5. Where are you at with Barkley, and how high are you willing to take him in 2021? Before this news about them potentially working him in slow to start the season, I was perfectly fine taking him as a second running back off the board. I honestly think he's going to be back to normal. I think he's, you know, generational gets thrown around so much lately, especially in the fantasy community. He is one of the few players I honestly believe, and this isn't me just being a Giants fan. I do I work very hard, almost to a fault, to to not be biased against you know for the Giants so much that I generally have a bias against the Giants when it comes to fantasy. <clears throat> um, with that being said, you know them the room of them now wanting to work him in slowly to start the season. It makes a little more sense why we spent. $3 million on Devontae Booker, which I don't agree with the signing. Uh, I think it was $3 million. I know it was it was a little more than I would have been comfortable spending. Uh, I still think by the end of the season, he's going to be that rock-solid RB1. It could be some tough sledding to start the season, especially with that extra game. You know, they might want to not uh, use so much of the tread on his tires, but I think he is one of a handful of players that could wind up at the end of the season, being the RB1 overall, um, I'm not worried about the offensive line with him. We haven't had an offensive line since he's been there, and he's performed just fine with Noodle Arm. Eli Manning, you know, the one thing I will say it, it, in favor of both Barkley and Daniel Jones, they barely got to play together. You know, Daniel Jones' first start last year, uh, excuse me, two years ago, Barkley got hurt, and then he, he came back too early from a high ankle sprain. He wasn't 
wasn't that good towards the end of the season. He really turned it on. And last year he played a game and a half. So you really haven't seen the offense with both Daniel Jones and a healthy Barkley on the field for more than a handful of games. Yeah. I mean, I'm with you on Barkley uh, potentially having that potential to, to be the number one back. You know, I've got him sitting as my RB four right now. Um, and, and, you know, again, that's guys, McCaffrey, Derrick Henry, Dalvin Cook. Those are the only three guys I would have over him at this point. And I think all um, those are completely fair. Yeah, but, you know, you look at what Barkley, you know, like we were saying, they could ease him in. You know, I always have this, you know, and, you know, maybe there's smarter guys or smarter people out there than me in terms of injuries and injury analysis. But I always feel like the first few weeks out the gate with these running backs or people that have had these ACL injuries or, you know, a significant injury, they're usually slower out the gate. And as a fantasy Knock the rust off a little bit. Yeah, definitely. And as a fantasy manager, I feel more inclined to buy low on those guys. Um, You know, so Saquon Barkley struggling through two games and people, you know, they obviously remember he struggled last year and I think he had struggled the year before out the gate. So it would become this stigma where Saquon Barkley is struggling or he's not the same player, I'm buying low right now. No, that's perfect. And I'm the same way, especially when it comes to rookie running backs. I did that a lot last year with um, uh, Cam Akers, and by the end of the season, that paid off. You know, everybody, we know the fantasy community, they want everything right away, and if they don't perform right away, they're so quick to just, you know, brush them off and say they're a bust. So I think that's a really good strategy for Barkley. Yeah, definitely. Um, and then let's talk about – somebody that should help open up some running lanes for Saquon Barkley and Kenny Galladay, right? They, he, they signed him, the Giants do from the Detroit Lions. Um, Kenny Galladay barely played football last year. Uh, <laughs> he's currently going off the board as the wide receiver 24. Uh, he's all, he's facing this stigma of wide receivers switching teams while, you know, not getting that so desired quarterback upgrade uh, the hope is that Kenny G can be the wide receiver one for the Giants. But what are you expecting from him, and does he outperform his current ADP? I definitely think there's going to be some growing pains. Like you said, traditionally, wide receivers switching teams are going to have a little bit of a harder time. I'm not concerned about his hip injury. I think that hip injury was completely money-related, and I don't blame the guy one bit. The lines weren't going anywhere last year. You know. Look at the way that teams just cut guys when they get hurt. You know, the offensive lineman for Denver that he was working out on his own and because he wasn't on uh, at the team facility, they cut him with no money. Like that's – I don't blame Kenny Galladay one bit. Anytime it comes to something like that, I go with the players. You know, these, these that's another story for another day, but I don't blame Kenny Galladay one bit for sitting out next uh, last year to get paid. I, I'm really excited. I feel like this is the first time we've had a true alpha since – Oh, no, Beckham has walked out the door. Um, I think that it may, I never understood us signing Golden Tate. I thought it was redundant with his skill set with Sterling Shepard. I think Kenny Galladay is going to be a great value at 24, where I, he could easily outperform that ADP and be a wide receiver one. There's, there's going to be some growing pains, especially as much as Daniel Jones gets sacked. And this defense is good. So that leads to, you know, you generally want to target – wide receivers on teams that have bad defenses because they're going to be in shootouts. So, you know, if it's a close game, the defense is keeping it, especially in the NFC East come, you know, towards the end of the season, the weather gets cold, 
Traditionally, the NFC East likes to run the ball. Um, there could be some some lean games in there, but I'm excited. I could see him definitely jumping into that back end wide receiver one. I don't I don't see him being that you know top five potential wide receiver one overall guy, but I definitely could see him being a back end wide receiver one pretty easily. Yeah, I mean it's definitely going to come down to the t- how do the touchdowns fall, right? Because this is a guy that has double digit touchdown potential. And the red zone was a place where the Giants struggled last year. I mean, obviously, you don't have Saquon Barkley. Uh, they didn't really have a number one receiver. Um, so, you know, they were definitely struggling that down there. And Kenny Galladay can definitely help them out with that. And, you know, I guess the question is, this is not an offense. We're, we're expecting, you know, to be a lot of production in the passing game. Uh, you know, we do we are expecting it to be a balanced offense. But. Who's the wide receiver to? I mean, Kadarius Tony, he's the rookie, hot new thing in town. Questions about whether he'll be more than a, a gadget player in, in year one, but he definitely adds an element that the Giants didn't have. Um, you know, something that I had spoken about. But Sterling Shepard definitely always useful as a PPR asset when he's on the field, but that's a big caveat there when he's on the field. Um, and then there's Slayton, who's just always been tantalizing with this big playability and you see the potential um but he just hasn't been able to do it consistently enough so these guys are going off the board tony wide receiver 60 shepherd wide receiver 75 and darius slayton as the wide receiver 86 but jay who are you taking if i had to pick between those guys i would go with tony now slayton to me is a poor man's deshaun jackson i like him i think it for for real football, I think he's a perfect fit for this team. But for fantasy, this offense isn't explosive enough where you're going to trust to put him in week in, week out. Um, his big games his rookie season were when Eli Manning was in, on the field. So he's never really had a, a huge rapport with Daniel Jones. Like you said, Sterling Shepard has been a fine um, PPR asset, but he doesn't really have the ceiling. So for me, he's got the a similar ADP to Tony. I would rather take the shot on on Tony's upside if they do wind up using him. If Jason Garrett somehow becomes a little bit more creative with offense, you know, I would really love to see them do some, you know, some RPOs with him and Barkley and Daniel Jones's mobility. You know, they they could really have an explosive offense if they use the pieces right. So Shepard's probably the safer option, but you don't win championships by being safe. You know, you need a bi-week replacement. You need a guy who's going to get you probably 10 points, 12 points. Shepard's your guy. But if you want that upside, I would go with Tony. Yeah, I, I agree with that right there. You know, if, you, if you're going safe, you want some some weekly production, a weekly, you know, a safe 10, 10 to 12 points, go get Shepard. But, you know, in, in if you're looking for that upside, you're looking for rookies and Kadarius Tony. Uh, has a ton of value right now just amongst the rookie class of receivers, right? Because he he does have first-round draft capital. But I just even from a dynasty perspective, you see how he go how late he goes in these rookie drafts. It just kind of gives you an idea of the public perception of Kadarius Tony, even from a redraft perspective. So I, I definitely like that. Um and maybe he gets used in ways that we saw Evan Ingram used last year. Evan Ingram was getting some jet sweeps and some, yeah. some end arounds. So, um, 
you know, oh, by by all, it was a, a worse, not a worse, but a, a rough year for Evan Ingram in 2020. Mm-hmm. For most of his career. Somehow pro bowler Evan Ingram, which I will never understand. Yeah, a lot of a lot of Giants fans were uh, were pretty upset about that one, including my co-host, Greg. But, <laughs> you know, hey, man, I mean, he, he, he played 16 games for the first time in his career. So um, but although he did have he was healthy for the first time, uh, he had career lows in yards per reception touchdowns yards per game he also had a career high in drops uh which was he was second in the in the nfl uh so it just seemed like a down year for ingram finishes the tight end 20 headed into a contract year you've already kind of alluded to your thoughts and your feelings but um he's going off the board as a tight end 21 i mean i looked at that and i saw that as free money um but it seems that you you might feel differently about that so I'm gonna I'm gonna ride the fence a little bit here. I definitely think that he's on his way out, but I will say where he's going, like you said, it's free money. That is a lottery ticket I'm willing to scratch, especially you know once you get past the top three, four, five tight ends, it gets ugly real quick. And he does have the athleticism. If he could ever just hold on to the ball, he could be in conversation. You know, we saw it his rookie year. He could be in conversation for one of the top tight ends you know I don't ever think he's going to be the the Travis Kelsey's the Kittles the Hawkinson's the Wallers but you know as we know you go three catches 30 yards and a touchdown and that's a tight end one so um it is a contract year and I think them not picking up that fifth year option speaks volumes about what their plans are for him plus going and get Kyle Rudolph like I said I think Witten is going to excuse me I think Garrett is going to use him as his Witten in this offense I could see you know Kyle Rudolph winding up with five, six touchdowns. Um, I could see them using him in the red zone to to shore up some of their red zone issues. His rookie season was his his most productive season, and a lot of people don't realize it if you didn't watch the games. We were throwing out practice squad wide receivers that year. Like we were signing guys off the practice squad, practically off the street to play that year. Our injuries were just ridiculous. So he was the only guy on the field. That's why he was producing. Um, last year was the first year he was able to stay healthy. He's got an issue with drops. I just, I think he's going to wind up getting phased out of the offense. You know, like I said, riding the fence a little bit. I think it's worth a shot. You know, that last round, he, like you said, he's practically free. Nobody's drafting him. He's got the athleticism. He's got the draft pedigree. Like we talked about, he can do it. So you could have a lot, you know, worse options as a, a second tight end, you know, just as a flyer. If it doesn't work out, you could always drop him. You're not going to have to spend that much. Yeah, I mean, just to give you an idea of the tight ends going in this ballpark of the tight end 21 where Evan Ingram was going. Again, this ADP is according to 4 for 4, where they aggregate some ADP across multiple sites. But Jared Cook, Zach Ertz, both going ahead of Evan Ingram, Adam Troutman, Cole Komet, Blake Jarwin, Dalton Schultz. Those are the names directly after Evan Ingram. This guy is this we're talking about a guy that we were people were drafting as a top six, top seven, maybe even tight end last year. And now he's going as the tight end 21 basically for free. Um, You know, hey, a lot of times we have to tell ourselves about we have to tell ourselves these stories. Right. We have to come up with because it's not just about definitively what may or may not happen, because at the end of the day, we don't necessarily know. But 
we could talk about range of outcomes and you talk about Kyle Rudolph. Well, maybe, Hey, maybe the giants get into some 12 personnel. Maybe that opens up Evan Ingram to do some more of yeah. these things that he's been able, that we know he's, he's successful at um, being used, being lined up as a wide receiver, being lined up in the slot, being a mismatch weapon. And Kyle Rudolph is, you know, helps Evan Ingram in a way yeah. who knows, but. And Rudolph I, hasn't been a beacon of health either in his career. So he, he could very easily get hurt as well. He, he barely passed the physical for them to sign him. So. Yeah, yeah no, absolutely. So tight end 21, I think it's worth the upside here to take a shot on Evan Ingram. Um, Jay, that is pretty much all I've got in terms of players. Uh, I guess I just want to ask you, what is your prediction for the NFC East? Who's winning it and what place will the Giants finish in? So my co-host will not be happy about this, but I think that the Eagles will wind up in last place. Uh, they get a lot of holes. I do like Jalen Hurts, especially from a fantasy perspective. And I think that uh, I think he can be the long term answer. But they've got some issues. Uh, you know, they're getting up there in age, especially on their offensive line. It, you know, um, so for the, I'm going to put them at last. I could really see it going any way with the next three. Um, I will put the Cowboys at, at a third place. I think Dak coming back is obviously a huge boost. Their offense is going to be phenomenal, but them too, their defense is they've got a lot of holes. I think they'll be better. <clears throat> um, as much as this hurts me to say, if, if I'm being unbiased, I think the Washington football team is going to win this division. I think if uh, it's all going to be on, Fitz magic. The only thing that concerns me about him is anytime he's gone somewhere and had actual expectations on him, he's kind of fell flat on his face, you know, with the jets, mm-hmm. with the bills. So he likes to be that guy that comes in to saves the day. So if he can go in and just maybe his, his old age, he can use that Harvard ed- education that everybody likes to talk about. <laughs> um, he's got the weapons with, you know, McLaurin with Samuel, with Antonio Gibson, that defense is unreal. That, that front four is just, I, you know, last year there was a lot of Giants fans who were upset that the Eagles threw that last game and the Giants didn't get in the playoffs. But you know what? We won two meaningless games against the Redskins two years ago, and that cost us Chase Young. So I would much rather the, the Giants weren't going to win the Super Bowl last year. Uh, that just that I would love to have Chase Young on this team, but that's another story for another day. Like I said earlier, um, I do think that I think it's going to be a two horse race between the Washington football team and the giants. And if I'm being completely honest, I think that Washington is in a better position to win this division. No, I res- I respect that. Totally. Washington won the division last year. I mean, Dallas still has issues on defense. Um, if Ryan Fitzpatrick can just elevate the quarterback position from what it was last year for Washington, then there's no reason why they can't win this division again. But Jay, Thank you so much for coming on. I appreciate Uh, you having me. No, absolutely. This was a pleasure. Everyone, please make sure you go follow Jay at GmenJ. Make sure you go subscribe to his podcast, podcast, the podcast with Upside, and make sure you check out all his work, including his writing with the Roto Underworld. And uh, everyone, thank you, and we'll catch you all later. And our next guest is a writer for the Rota Underworld. He's a co-host of a podcast with Upside. He's also a dynasty ranker for Fantasy Pros uh, and self-proclaimed diehard Eagles fan. That is Dan Turner, Eagle Dan FF on Twitter. 
Dan, thank you for coming on, man. Thanks for having me. I'm really excited to be on. Yeah, man, we're going to talk Philadelphia Eagles. We had your co-host Jay on uh, previously to discuss the Giants, and so now we're discussing the Crosstown Rivals Eagles. How does that dynamic work out in season with you guys being uh, Eagles fans and Giants fans? Well, how it works out is I'm always right and he's always wrong. And that's, just, <laughs> that's just the way it's been for about over like a like a year now. So I mean, we had we had a bet actually going uh, last year uh, where we had some bold predictions for our show and whoever had the best bold prediction record at the end got to name a, a punishment for the other. So I ended up winning that handily. And he he's a big Duke fan, so I actually uh, got his uh, face superimposed into Tyler Hamsborough's body, and he had to use that for a Twitter avatar for about. Uh, three months so that was great yeah. so it's 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 nice being right <laughs> yeah i definitely remember that uh did, did not know the story behind that but that's <laughs> hilarious that makes it funny um but let's dive into these philadelphia eagles they've hired a new head coach nick sirianni uh you know they after going 4 and 11 last year firing doug peterson uh, they came into 2020 with pretty decent expectations considering they were mostly a veteran team uh, the division that they play in. But then we saw Carson Wentz basically implode, uh, which led to him and the Eagles essentially parting ways at the end of the year. And it also led to Jalen Hurts getting his opportunity. Uh, so what are your expectations among, like, you know, as, as an Eagles fan and amongst the fan base, would you say, for the Eagles heading into 2021? Uh, I think it's, it's definitely a rebuilding year uh, for us. I don't think there's any you know, realistic expectation of, of making like a deep playoff run. Uh, I think, you know, with the new coaching staff, that's always, you know, it takes a while for everyone to get up to speed on, on the new system and new scheme and everything. We're trying to get younger because we've, like, as you said, we were a veteran team last year, I think trying to milk that last little bit out of that 2017 Super Bowl roster. And obviously we see how it turned out. We ended up failing miserably. And, you know, Wentz is gone, Peterson is gone. So now we have Sirianni and, it hurts. So I think I think for this year, you know, we should try to, you know, get get younger, make sure we like the systems well. I think it'll benefit everyone to, you know, get a fresh start, have the uh, playbook be built around the players we have and, and go from there. Yeah, it's, it's interesting. You you know, you, you said that the Eagles are in a rebuilding year. I've kind of called it their teeter tottering be, between rebuilding and and not rebuilding. I mean, all their moves have said that they're rebuilding, but they they still, I guess, haven't, they haven't come out and said that, and, you know, no mm-hmm. team does, but, you know, it's Howie Roseman, the, they still got a veteran uh, roster for the most part, um, but it really all is going to come down. I mean, I think they are giving Jalen Hurts this opportunity to really see, is he the guy that, you know, they, they have two first round picks that could essentially become three first round picks, depending on what happens with the Carson Wentz deal. So that could position them to get a top quarterback in next year's draft if Hertz proves to not be the guy. But from a fantasy perspective, uh, you know, he he definitely made, you know, an immediate, immediate impact last year as a fantasy asset, mainly with his legs. He was uh, on a 16 game pace of of almost 1100 rushing yards had was on pace for 12 rushing touchdowns. He left a lot to be desired as a passer, though. But in, in his four starts, even including that weird game against Washington in Week 17, he was the QB nine in point in fancy points per game during that stretch. Currently going off the board is the QB 10 
according to 444s.com's aggregated ADP. What are your expectations for Jalen Hurts heading into 2021? Uh, I think he's he's definitely going to to improve on on what he did last year. Like, you know, there's no denying it. He had he everyone says like he had a, he was a bad passer last year. There, I mean, you can't escape that. And when he points to his completion percentage and how it was in the low, you know, 50, 51, 52 percent. But then then you realize like a lot of those passes were 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 deep passes. He was in a an offense that wasn't really built for him. The, everyone was dysfunctional. You know, it was, it was a losing season and everyone knew it. And, and a lot of the the leaders of the team uh, had their their foot out the door. So I think with, with this year, with with Sirianni giving him a chance to, to build the offense around him. And and this is where it gets complicated because there's a difference between Jalen Hurts, the real life quarterback, and then Jalen Hurts, the, the fantasy quarterback. Because Jalen Hurts, the fantasy quarterback, even though, you know, he wasn't the best passer, still averaged almost you know, 24 point fantasy points per game in, in the games he started. So if you think about what he did last year as, as his floor with an offense being built around him, with him get, completing more high percentage patches to his running backs, taking some, some notes from Indy's offense of like throwing from the, out of the backfield to, to his running backs and upping that completer completion percentage up as well as some of the draft moves of, you know, getting his, his college, teammate in Devonta Smith, they're showing that they, that they're building around him. And if he, he can improve even, you know, like eight percentage points to passer, he can definitely rise up into that, you know, top tier of fantasy quarterbacks. Am I saying he's ever going to be Aaron Rodgers or Tom Brady? No, I'm not. But in terms of, of fantasy, he can definitely, you know, rise up there. Yeah. I, I definitely think, you know, I like what you said in terms of, of the team and, and the situation last year versus this year. Um, adding Devontae Smith. I mean, they still have Jalen Rager in the mold as well. Um, Nick Sirianni coming into what you would hope would be to build an offense around him. I imagine that the best case scenario would be something similar to what the Ravens have done in, in Baltimore with Lamar Jackson. I think that would be your best case scenario. Uh, unfortunately, Philly doesn't have the defense that Baltimore has to to kind of marry marry those two styles of offense and defense. So Jalen Hurts will have to air it out more. Uh, I mean, this is a kid that has bet on himself his whole career, so I don't see him being any different. He, he's definitely built that way. So it's going to be int- intriguing to see, but from a fantasy perspective, definitely all in. Um, someone we have questions about, I know I have questions about, uh, Miles Sanders. He was someone that people comped uh, in the offseason to Christian McCaffrey. I think that's how high expectations have gotten for Miles Sanders. Um, but he played, you know, in 12 games after dealing with some injuries, was still good in some spots, especially some spots where you you would expect him to not be good and ends up doing well sometimes, in you know, for the event of a large run or, you know, one that went the distance. But that's part of his game, part of who he is. Um, but, you know, he wasn't what maybe some expected, myself included, uh, he, but he was the RB 23 in fantasy points per game and in PPR points. Uh, he's currently going off the board as the RB 18, the ninth pick in the third round of 12 team leagues. How do you feel about Sanders and his current price tag? Oh, I absolutely love him. If I can get him at that price, give him to me all day. You're looking at at, at that range. He's pretty much, you know, going as as your as your running back three if you if you're going running back in the first two rounds. So if you want to get like an elite. 
a receiver or someone like Kelsey and in those rounds and then pick up Sanders as your running back number two. I mean, I'm, I'm absolutely down for something like that. I think that, you know, last year he did struggle in pass protection and he did struggle in, in, you know, in receiving, but I think a lot of that had to do with, again, sometimes he was wide open and Carson went through it into like the fifth row. So, I mean, it's not all on him. Yeah, he can improve. Uh, but I, I know that the, the Eagles, you know, they drafted Gainwell and, and, and signed Carrion Johnson and a lot of people that's scaring a lot of people off. But I think, you know, I think that Gainwell is just a massive upgrade over Boston Scott and Philly was never going to have, you know, Sanders be the bell cow. And that's not the kind of offense that they're going to run. But if he can get, you know, the same like snap share that he got last year and, and then have those other players fit into the different slots, especially with the kind of offense that Ciaran is expected to to run, then I think that his numbers can improve and he can do better than he did last year. And, and, and at that price tag, I'm, I'm going to get him all day. Yeah, I mean, as your RB3, definitely not a bad a bad deal to have there, um, especially with the pass catching prowess that he has. Um, you know, obviously the question with Miles Sanders has always been the workload. Is it going to be there? He was getting that workload last year, just dealt with some injuries. The Philadelphia offense wasn't very good. So it leaves a bad taste in fantasy managers' mouths. And then on top of that, when you consider all the running backs that they've added, I mean, no one really scares you from a standpoint of, you know, they could compete with Miles Sanders for the job, but it's just the fact that they Philadelphia just keeps adding them. And so it just makes you kind of lose confidence, especially the Kenneth Gainwell pick. Um, but I just started thinking the other day, maybe Kenneth Gainwell, because he is very similar to Miles Sanders when you just look at the the build and the type of players that they are and how they can how they can be utilized in a football game. Maybe Ken, Kenneth Gainwell is a down the line type of of player of type of move for the Philadelphia Eagles. What do you think about that? I absolutely agree. I mean, I was shocked that that he lasted until the fifth round. Like I had no like inclination that the Eagles were going to get him or that he was even going to be available at that spot. And the fact that they did, like even like pre-draft in my in my dynasty rankings, I had him very high. So the fact that they got him for that kind of price tag uh, is excellent. And, you know, it, it, he could be that he turns into like that supercharged version of what Naheem Hines used to be or is in the in the Colts offense. So if he does that and Sanders takes in takes that uh, like JT, like, role not that he's obviously not as talented as Jonathan Taylor is but fitting into those slots in the offense uh, people don't realize but Sanders had a 77 percent snap share last year that was number three among running backs he was on the field a lot more than people realize so if he can e- even come close to that kind of numbers with with hopefully the improvements in what the offense can do I'm not as worried about what what Gainwell can can do uh, as far as take snaps away from him but as more than Gainwell can supplement what they what Scott was already doing but doing it better yeah, no, definitely. And if Sanders does go down, you know, the, then there are backs present because Boston Scott's not going to fill in for for Miles Sanders as a as a true three down back. Um, but moving on, you know, two wide receivers, uh, Devontae Smith, Jalen Rager, both guys with first round draft capital ha- uh, having been invested in them. Smith with the, the 10th overall pick in this year's draft, Rager with the 21st pick in last year's draft. Uh, Rager dealt with some injuries last year uh, to his shoulder and his thumb, but he was on the field or when he was on the field, he was not all that productive, just averaging seven points per game Um, in an offense like this one, which I would imagine would be predicated on the ground game. How do you value these two wide receivers that are going off the board as 
wide receiver 36 and 56 respectively? Uh, I think for wide receiver 36, I so that puts them at in a 12 team league at like wide the wide receiver three cusp. I think that's that's excellent uh, price tag for uh, a team's wide receiver one, no matter who it is. And the fact that you know everyone makes a big deal about the fact that that Smith and, and Hertz you know played in college together, but that that does you know help somewhat with with the familiarity. I think that you know everyone was really worried about Devontae Smith's you know like weight and stuff, and that is a concern. But minus that, he was probably like the best receiver in the draft, maybe besides Jamar Chase. So, you know, he's exactly what the Eagles wide receiver core needs, which is someone that can actually, you know, get open, catch the ball, which is something we've lacked for a couple of years now, which is funny because that's pretty much the receiver's job, but you, know, you couldn't tell with how the Eagles receivers have been playing. Uh, I think, and also that, that also helps Jalen Raker now because with Smith, you know, in, in, entrenched in that number one spot, Rager can slide into that number two and, and work those, those underneath routes and get that, that run out for the catch that, that he's known for. So I think it, it does help them both. I think that, you know, price tag wise, I, I, I'm really good on both of them. I think that those two are easily the, the top two receivers in that offense. There really isn't much behind them in terms of, you know, superior talent or anything. Really the only thing other you know, targets in that offense are probably Dallas Goddard and then the you know, like Sanders and Gainwell. So it's not like they're fighting for, uh, like a t- for, for targets with anyone else. So I, I with those price tags, I, you know, not, not to sound like a homer here, but I think that they're, they're, they're being undervalued a little bit. And I would probably, you know, look at them or some of the other options that are going around that range. Yeah. I mean, I think Devonte Smith has got the, you know, he's the fact that he's a rookie and, we don't know for sure if he will be the number one target. We, we assume that he will be the number one guy, but maybe that's why he's going off the board wide receiver 36. But Jalen Rager is kind of intriguing to me because he's the kind, he's the guy that's just kind of left for left for dead here was a first round pick last year. I really liked Jalen Rager last year. Um, again, wasn't all that productive on the football field, but the Eagles did try to get him involved. Carson Wentz just wasn't very good. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jalen Hurts had his issues throwing down the field as well. Uh, so, you know, Rager in year two could definitely be intriguing to me. Um, you know, so maybe he's he's worth taking a flyer on if you're playing in these best ball leagues. And, and you know, maybe you could go with a Jalen Hurts, Jalen Rager stack, um, you know, and, and uh, try to approach it that way and maybe uh, leverage the market there. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I, yeah, I think, you know, it, it, it's it's the, the passing offense as a whole, wasn't very good. Like we can admit that, but it was interesting. Like the, like, I think it was like the third or so like pass play that, that Hertz was in. He threw like a 40 yard bomb down the sideline to Rager and caught him in stride. So, I mean, you could see glimpses of, of the talent. It is there. So I just, they just have to like put it all together. They have to get into an offense that's suited for their talents. And Pearson's offense wasn't like that. So I think, you know, I'm not going to say that, you know, they're going to be the top, 10 or whatever wide receivers could because they're probably not the offense is still probably going to be you know going through growing pains but i think at, at, the, at the prices that you could get them it's especially in best fall drafts it's definitely worth taking a flyer on them yeah definitely um somebody who de- you definitely think will be involved in this offense this year that will be dallas goddard entering year four with the philadelphia eagles a contract year for him as well uh, we know that Ertz has probably played his final down with the Eagles. It ha- has nothing has made been made official yet. Um, but as man- fantasy managers, I think 
we all know that Goddard can can handle this role. He was the tight end 10 last year on 54% of, his, of the offensive snaps. Uh, we got to see a bit of what it would look like with him at that tight end one role when, when Ertz got injured at the end of the year. He's currently going off the board at the tight end seven, and that's with Ertz still on the roster. So it shows you the faith managers, fantasy managers have in him. Are we right to exercise that faith, Dan? 100%. I mean, just look at the stat you, you just said. He was wide receiver 10 playing barely above 50% of the snaps. Most of the year he was spent as a backup, and he still got he was still a top 10 T. He's going to get 100% of the snaps once they get rid of Ertz. And like you said, now like everyone is starting from the ground up in the offense, so he's going to get that familiarity with, with, with Jalen. And he's, you know, he's going to be that that intermediate like target or Lorenzo target that the Eagles have because both, you know, Smith and, and Rager aren't those like big, you know, physical guys so much as like they're the shifty you know, speed guys. So he's definitely going to be a big part of the offense. And I think that, you know, if he had played all 16 games like last year, he would have been even better. So, you know, getting to be that TE1 in that offense and you know going back to the any offense not saying the Eagles offense is going to be exactly like Indy any the Indy offense love their tight ends so he's definitely going to be looked at early and often and and with Ertz no longer there he's the undisputed number one target at the tight end position there so I'm 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 all in on on Goddard this year especially at this price tag because you know if you're not going to get you know the Kelsey's or the Kittles or the Wallers in the top uh, in the top rounds and you want to wait a little while, he's one of those perfect targets you can wait and, and grab later on. They can still, you know, return that, that top five value potentially. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think he's total upside play there when you're looking at tight ends um, relative to, to, I mean, again, it's, it's tight end ADP is, is could be all over the place, but tight end seven, I think that that's v- more than fair value for a guy like Dallas Goddard, who could assume the role that we, we think he's he's going to assume here. Um, all right, man, I don't want to keep you too much longer. Uh, I've got one more question for you. I need an NFC East prediction. What is going down? Who's winning the NFC East, and where do you have the Eagles finishing? So I think that Washington's going to win the East. I think that their defense is easily the best in the – in the division. And I think Fitzpatrick stabilizes that QB position enough where they can, where they can win. Uh, I think the Eagles finish uh, in third. All right. Fair enough, man. Fair enough. I, I, I don't, I mean, don't want to spoil it, but there's a reason why you and, and Jay have some pretty good chemistry there, man. So <laughs> thank you. <laughs> um, all right, guys. Well, everyone make sure you go follow Dan at Eagle Dan FF uh, podcast with Upside, also working with with going for two. So Dan, is there anything else that you want the listeners to know about you before you head out of here? Um, just a look, um, for a look at, I'm finishing up an article for uh, Roto Underworld about uh, the Bears uh, running back uh, core. I'm also uh, updating my dynasty as regular as well as working on my Debbie and IDP rankings for a fantasy pro. So uh, get a look out for those. It should be coming up soon. Yeah, man. And make sure you're definitely following Dan at Eagle Dan FF on Twitter. Uh, he's a, he's a great guy, great follow and puts out great content. So definitely want to check that out. We appreciate Dan for coming on and everyone have a wonderful, wonderful time. Thanks, John. 
All right, my next guest is someone I met in the fantasy community a while back. I've always enjoyed interacting with him. He's a fantasy football guy, the host of Talking Sports with Manny podcast. He's the host of the Back Row Redskins show. Uh, my man loves football, but he loves sports in general. That's Manny Chikuba. Uh Manny, how are you, man? Thank you for coming on, brother. Man, I'm doing great, man. Thank you so much for the invite, man. No, absolutely, man. I, I was looking for a Washington football team fan. Not many of those in the fantasy community. <laughs> but as, as soon as I was like, I got to find one, I knew exactly who I was going to. <laughs> and that was you, Manny. So I'm, I'm glad you were able to make time to come on the show, man. Absolutely, man. Appreciate it, man. I'm passionate about those football team <laughs> teamers. <laughs> yeah, right. We'll, we'll see how long they keep that name. But uh, – <sighs> However long they keep it, we do know that Ron Rivera is the the head man in charge, uh, led by a strong defense and a, a weak NFC East last year. Uh, they they went to a seven and nine record, which was enough to win first place in the NFC East. They got a quarterback upgrade supposedly with Ryan Fitzpatrick. Mm-hmm. Uh, they made upgrades at wide receiver both through free agency and the NFL draft. And you know Ron Rivera and this new this new look Washington football team front office. They look like they're really building something over there. Vegas has them with an eight, uh, a win total uh, at eight. What are your expectations? What are the expectations amongst the fan base for the Washington football team headed in 2021? I mean, you said it perfectly with, you know, a new front office, essentially, you know, building through the draft and free agency, and not only just building through free agency, building smartly. So we're out here spending wisely instead of, Paying a Kenny Galladay 20, 18 to 20 million, you get a Curtis Samuel for about 11 to 12. Just, just smarter. So I'm expecting at least 10 wins because if you go seven wins without a team, like we had guys that nobody knew last year, like the Logan Thomases of the world, the JD McKissicks. I mean, to be honest, the roster was terrible coming into the season. So now that we're getting some guys that are quality players, especially on the offensive side of the ball. I'm expecting 10 wins, no less than 10. I mean, you play to win the game, right? <laughs> you don't play just to play it, like Herm Edwards always says. So I'm expecting us to to be at least 10 wins. The last time I seen 10 wins with this squad was when I became a fan in 1999. So with an extra game, we have 17 games now. You can't tell me that we can't get 10. So 10 and 7 is the goal. That's the goal. Hey, man, I think it's definitely doable. I mean, I, I looked at year one under Ron Rivera. I mean, he he had said it perfectly um, at one point. He's got to teach these guys how to win. Uh, and they learned how to win. They they won a division title, um, you know, end up going to a playoff game against the Bucks. which, to be honest, if if their quarterback situation was a little bit better, they, they have more than a puncher's chance, you know, and if, you know, some of the guys were healthy. Um, but – Again, going back to the quarterback position, uh, you play to win the game. That's how you make friends with the host. You 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 reference a, a coach from his favorite football team, and the New York Jets. But sure. you play to win the game. You upgrade at quarterback, uh, even if it's a slight upgrade. You're still trying to to maximize your wins, get to that mm-hmm. ten win number. And Ryan yeah. Fitzpatrick, while he has not had much success in the mm-hmm. win column. Uh, he has definitely put seasons together where makes you think that he can definitely be the upgrade that the Washington football team is looking for. Now playing for his eighth NFL team, 
you know, he comes over from Miami where he's in a tough situation with Tua, mm-hmm. who Miami had obviously vested the, invested the number five pick, overall pick in him. Uh, but he was he was the better player in Washington. He was. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. You look at, you know, how at even at points in the Raiders game, they mm-hmm. have to bring him in to give them some juice. I mean, Washington yeah. clearly <laughs> thinks that he has something left in the tank at 38 mm-hmm. years old. And seven starts last year, averaged nearly 20 fantasy points per game, which, at you know, at that pace would have been a top 12 quarterback. Currently going off the board is the QB 21. Does Fitz present a value here leading to some Fitz magic, or will it be a Fitz tragic situation here? I think there's a major upgrade. Did you see who the quarterbacks were last year? You had Dwayne Haskins. We're not going to talk about where he went and what he did <laughs> and how he played. You had Alex Smith. He had one good leg. Lord bless his soul. I've never been an Alex Smith fan. He's just a check down Charlie. He's just a check down guy. And that's the reason why J.D. McKissick was number two in receptions <laughs> for running backs. Okay, so that's not by design. That was Alex Smith. Okay, then you had uh, Kyle Allen. He played like uh, two games and a half or something like that. And then he's out for the season. So, you know, then you had Taylor Heineke, who gave us five good quarters of football. So when you look at the collection we had four quarterbacks, four. And, you know, a couple of them was, you know, a couple were good, a couple were bad, you know. So bringing in a Ryan Fitzpatrick, here's what I'm seeing out of Ryan Fitzpatrick. He's going to be a guy that Scott Turner runs that air Coriel. He's going to be able to throw that ball down the middle. So you're going to see different guys go through the middle. You're going to see guys go deep. We saw what happened when Fitzpatrick was last in Tampa Bay with uh, Deshaun Jackson. And you saw Deshaun Jackson come back to life. Okay, I'm not going to jump. I'm not going to jump ahead of ourselves, but we're going to get into a guy that I think is going to be a monster this season that nobody knows about. Everybody's sleeping on this guy right now. I'm scooping up this guy in Dynasty Startups. We're going to get to him in a minute. But Ryan Fitzpatrick is going to air the ball out now with the good comes the bad. He's a guy that. I like him because when you're losing, he's going to give you all he has. He's going to air it out. He's going to give you a chance to win. But I don't think that it's like the game is not going to be in his hands to like, hey, win us games. We have a good defense. We have a good running back. So it's just Ryan Fitzpatrick. Just give us enough. You know, and if he gives us enough, we'll be fine. And if that defense is creating turnovers and giving us second chances to, you know, to pursue points, we'll be fine. Regardless of how many interceptions Ryan Fitzpatrick throws, the, like, the, like the end goal is win the turnover margin. <laughs> If you win the turnover margin, you'll be fine. If his pressure throws five picks, let's just go ahead and get four fumble recoveries and two interceptions and, you know, even that out. But, yeah, that's my take on Fitzpatrick. I think he's going to be a major upgrade. I see him around 3,700 yards, maybe 4,000. But if it's 4,000, that means that we're losing some games. You know, so I'm looking at 3,600, 3,700, uh, maybe about 26, 27 touchdowns and about 13 picks. That's kind of where I see Ryan Fitzpatrick, and that's a major upgrade if you look at the stats from last year of what the running, I mean, what the quarterbacks did for us. So yeah, I'll take I'll take Fitzpatrick any day. Yeah, Ryan Fitzpatrick definitely. Again, we're we're talking about a team which they had a formula in place, which was play good defense, run the football, don't turn the ball over, yep. and they can do that. They mm-hmm. can Ryan Fitzpatrick, you know. As you said, he can he can get wild and it could go it could look bad sometimes. But if you put him in a situation where you insulate him with a good offensive line, good run game, mm-hmm. 
playmakers around him. He doesn't have exactly. to do too much. Uh, it, you know, then maybe you have a situation here where Ryan Fitzpatrick, you you get Fitz magic for mm-hmm. most of the season. Um, but a guy who's gonna it's gonna have to come down to for that to happen is Antonio Gibson. And so Gibson's a player, you know, here at Fantasy Football Diagnostics, we were very high on, and he rewarded us handsomely, finishing as the RB18 and PPR fantasy points per game. Uh, a lot of that was due to 11 rushing touchdowns, mm-hmm. which he put up, uh, you know, and he, and he put up down the stretch, uh, you know, major performances. I think that that uh, Thursday night, that Thanksgiving game uh, against Dallas sticks out tremendously right. where he had three rushing touchdowns. Mm-hmm. Um, but it seems like Washington was gaining more trust in Gibson to be that workhorse type back. Um, you know, obviously you mentioned J.D. McKissick siphoning some of those passing down targets, mm-hmm. but. Hopefully in year two, we see Antonio Gibson take that extra step and be the true three down back because it's not really a question of if he can catch the football. We know the pedigree is a former wide receiver, but a more of a question is if will Washington lean on him to do that. Uh, so he's going off the board as the RB15. How confident are you, Manny, that he can outproduce that ADP? I think he can. And I just dropped a video today comparing the rookie year of Antonio Gibson to the rookie year of Christian McCaffrey. The video I dropped on YouTube today was inspired by uh, Victoria um, under uh, FFB underscore Victoria. She's great. She's a Buffalo fan, but she's in a fantasy community and drops tons of nuggets. So when she gave me this stat, I put it to the side and I said, you know what? I'm going to drop a video. So Christian McCaffrey and, and Antonio Gibson was obviously coached by Ron Rivera and Scott Turner, they love to use their running backs a certain way. They love to use their running backs as receivers and running backs. And when you look at everything that Christian McCaffrey did compared to Antonio Gibson, uh, CMC first year, 197 touches. Gibson, 206. But a lot of those was from running the ball. He didn't even really get to receive the ball. And that's okay because he's a wide receiver learning to play running back, right? So you look at that and a lot of us, you know, either drafted him or had him stashed just in case something happens. And for those of us who stashed him, we won. <laughs> you know, at the end of the year, he was, you know, RB1 tons and tons and tons of weeks. So when you look at the yards from scrimmage, they are very similar. Christian McCaffrey's 1,086 to uh, Gibson's 1,042. When you look at the total touchdowns, this guy is a goal line monster. So you're not worried about being vultured. On top of that, Washington has not done anything to bring in anybody who's going to take away touches. Jared Patterson, I love him. I'm stashing him everywhere. Grab this guy, save him just in case of that toe injury on Antonio Gibson. They're saying that he's recovering. You know, he had that toe injury that kind of took him out last year. He's recovering. I think he's going to be full form by the time the season starts. But when you look at the running back room, there is nobody out there to take touches away. Peyton Barber might not even be on the roster. You know, he's just good for that goal line or that one-yard carry, that two-yard carry that you need. So when you look at everything, if – I'm telling you, if J.D. McKissick's work is cut in half, you are looking at Antonio Gibson being a top seven running back this year. Under my video, I had people posting 1,200 yards rushing, and that's very doable in a 17-game season if he's healthy, right? I've seen people say 50 receptions, about 500 yards receiving. That's 
very possible in this offense. They want to use him like Christian McCaffrey. Obviously, he's not Christian McCaffrey. Christian McCaffrey is a whole different breed, but he can get to that kind of level with confidence. So, I mean, I'm definitely seeing Antonio Gibson as a guy that can be a top 12 running back this year in fantasy and in real life. No, definitely. Love AG, man. I mean, 1,200 rushing yards. That's not really the question for me. The And the question really for me isn't if he's capable of being a pass catcher, right? It's not like, you know, there's this, you know, it's not like Jonathan Taylor where it's mm-hmm. like he can't, right. you know, we have questions, not mm-hmm. that he, Jonathan Taylor can't, but we have more questions about his ability versus in Naheem Hines where it just doesn't make sense exactly. to take him off the field. Right. Uh, in, in you know, in favor of Naheem Hines, but in terms of man, of of Antonio Gibson, he can actually he played wide receiver in college. Yeah, he did. He this did. guy can catch the football. So you know, I think the things are maybe pass protection. How comfortable is he mm-hmm. with that? Because that's one right, thing. That's true. As fantasy managers, we don't really think about right. We just think, mm-hmm. oh, guy's athletic. He can catch the football. Make him your three down back. He's 220 pounds, but we have mm-hmm. to realize this guy doesn't have a ton of reps, IDing protections, and standing in there as a pass protector. So um, the question for me is going to be the receptions. Uh, you know, I'd feel way more comfortable if JD McKissick just wasn't on the roster. I'd just right. sign right. me up. Right. Let's do it. But one guy whose role we do not have to question that is Terry McLaurin, F1. Scary Terry, even though he doesn't really like that name. <laughs> right. But probably one of our favorite players on this show. Terry finished as the wide receiver 20 last year, mm-hmm. 87 catches, uh, just over 1,100 yards, four touchdowns on 134 targets. Probably lower lower expectations than I personally had for him. I had Terry as like a top 15 wide receiver going into last year. Mm-hmm. Uh, seems like everyone's expecting that this year with the upgrade at quarterback and the added weapons around him to give him more room to operate. He can take another step forward going off the board as the wide receiver 12. Will fantasy managers feel good about that investment by the end of the year? Absolutely. And matter of fact, I just dropped a Terry prediction because the Washington football team, they had these uh, like these pictures. I don't know if you've seen it. Fitzpatrick holding, holding something up and Terry holding something up. So then the football team said, hey, fans. We're going to clear it. We're going to make a plane. You guys just go ahead and have fun with it. So I posted a picture of Terry McLaurin holding that same sign, and I had 93 receptions. I had 1,400 yards plus, 1,465 to be exact, and, and eight touchdowns. The reason why I was modest on the, on the touchdowns is because I don't know if we're going to be needing a lot of touchdowns to win games this year. I mean, I don't know. Based on how well the defense play, you're not expecting to be airing the ball out when you're winning, right? You want to run the ball. So but what I do see is if you look at Ryan Fitzpatrick, every, I mean, every wide receiver that he's ever had, he's made that wide receiver a top tier, top seven, top eight guy. I mean, you look at Devontae Parker. Devontae Parker's a bum. I'm sorry. He's not good. Okay. He's not good. But look what he did with Devontae Parker two years ago, the last eight games. Remarkable. You know, you take those numbers and double it. Terry can have a phenomenal season. And now with the help of a Curtis Samuel, who's going to play some running back, by the way, just putting that out there. And, um, you know, uh, what's his name? Dayami Brown and, you know, Adam Humphreys. So you have better quality wide receivers to take some pressure away from Terry. So I see him having a big season. I mean, 
he can push 100 catches this year. I'm not trying to like be a homer or, oh, I'm just so hyped. He can have 100 catches because if he's going to get, let's say, you said he had 135 targets last year? 134. Yeah. Okay. This year he's going to have close to 150, if not more, just because Fitzpatrick, we know who Fitzpatrick is. And when he gets locked in on a wide receiver, he gets locked in. So I'm expecting the targets to go up. Mind you, I think Terry missed one or two games last year. I think he missed two games, and that really hurt his, hurt his numbers. So he was supposed to be a, a lock for 1,200 yards, minimum. I had him for 1,400 yards last year, and, you know, it was just the injury that kind of took him out. And, you know, teams double, triple team in this guy. You know, he's playing – he played with four quarterbacks. So, <laughs> I mean, think about it. This guy is quarterback. Proof. He reminds me a lot of uh, Allen Robinson or DeAndre Hopkins. Yes, that's high praise, but that's just how good Terry is. Look what he did last, uh, the, his rookie year with Case Keenum and Dwayne Haskins. I mean, come on, man. The guys had like seven quarterbacks, you know, in two years, and not one of those quarterbacks are anything even close to what Ryan Fitzpatrick is. I'm expecting a big season. I'm expecting, I want to say 1,500 yards, but that's just asking for too much. That's like, if we only had limited weapons on offense, I think it's going to be a well-rounded, rounded, a well-rounded offense. But I see uh, Terry McLaurin having one or two big, humongous games that shoots his numbers up, regardless of what he does. You know, the rest of the season. So. Yeah, I mean, the the, the secondaries in the, in the NFC East still lacking a little bit. So Terry's still got that reasonable mm-hmm. schedule on his side. Uh, the only thing with Terry, you know, last year I was really high on him with because there was nobody else to throw the football exactly. to. Um, this year, they do have some talent. So that's my only question. Do they need to force him the football as much when you have guys like Curtis Samuel? and? Look, let me tell you something. They're not going to have to force him the ball because he's going to be so wide open. Okay, <laughs> It's going to be one-on-one. And you put a guy like Trevon Diggs from, Miami, I mean, from Dallas on this guy, He's going to eat that guy alive, man. We're talking 15 catches. We're talking 150 yards, two touchdowns. I mean, he's he's that, that good. Coming into the draft, I felt that Terry McLaurin was the crispiest route runner. Him second was um, A.J. Brown. And A.J. Brown's a beast. You know what I'm saying? D.K. Metcalf, you know, physical abilities. They're playing with better, better quarterbacks. But this guy, I'm telling you, he's going to be so wide open. Who do you double? Mm-hmm. Who do you double? Everybody on that offense including Antonio Gibson runs like a high four, four, two, four, three, four, four. So you're going to, you're going to see speed. And another thing people don't realize that Terry is a deep threat. He's a deep threat. But the reason why you didn't see him go deep last year was because they didn't have the quarterbacks that can get it to him. But that first game of his career versus the Eagles, when he had, I mean, this guy caught like a 70 yard bomb. He should have had two 70 yard bombs, but the quarterback couldn't get him the ball on the second time where he overthrew him. Well, he would have had 150 yards his very first game in the NFL. So he's a burner. He has the speed. He runs crispy routes. So you don't really look at him as, a, you know, a deep threat, but he is. I'm telling you, that speed he is. So he's going to have a big, big season. Like I said, he's going to have two or three monster games that's going to shoot his stats up there crazy. So don't worry about, oh, where do I get Terry? In startups, if you can get this guy in the third round, that's a steal. If you can get this guy in the fourth round, that's a super steal. I don't see him going past the fourth round. He's just that good. Yeah, no, Terry's an absolute monster. 
love the love Terry, love everything he's he's done so far in his career, and excited to see what he'll continue to do. Um, moving on to the other wide receivers, though, you touched on Curtis Samuel a little bit, and you mentioned you took the words right out of my mouth. I do believe Curtis Samuel plays some running back because when you look at the like like you were saying earlier, and I, I didn't want to touch on it because I was waiting until we got to Curtis Samuel, but you touched on it already. Um, if you look around the roster, it's like the next person best suited if anything were to happen to Antonio Gibson to get touches would be Curtis Samuel. Curtis Samuel. <laughs> position flex. Ron Rivera preaches position flex. If you can't play two positions, you're not on the roster. That's just how he rolls. So you're going to see some guys like Antonio Gandy-Golden or Kelvin Harmon get cut. One of those two guys might get cut. One of those two guys might go to the practice squad because if you don't play special teams and catch the ball or if you don't if, I mean, you got to be able to do two things to be on the roster. Ron Rivera likes to be, be prepared. He doesn't like games. He doesn't like not having players that are healthy, willing to play. So you got to be able to do two things to be on this roster. And I'm telling you, you're going to see, I mean, you're going to see formations where you see, you know, Curtis Samuel in the backfield. You're going to see J.D. McKissick in the slot. You're going to see Antonio Gibson split out wide. And you're going to say, what the heck is going on? And you're going to see motions. You're going to see sweeps and you're going to just be confused so the offense is going to be pretty pretty fun to watch this year and i'm i, I mean i'm ready for it you're going, to, you're going to also see some wildcats you're going to see i'm telling you right now i was talking to scott turner on the phone he told me not to reveal this <laughs> but just for you on your show i'm gonna i'm gonna share this with you i'm telling you right now you're gonna see some wildcat with curtis samuel and it's going to be pretty pretty sick this season well, I'm glad that you could share, you know, some information from your sources over there in Washington. <laughs> <laughs> but no, man, I mean, I like I like what you're saying. The versatility is awesome. I think that those are the best kinds of football teams. I'm trying to make, you know, I'm I'm on hashtag normalized positionless football. Uh, mm -hmm. It's got to become a thing. Yes, sir. <laughs> um, but, you know, he, Curtis Samuel finishes the wide receiver 27 last year. Going off the board is wide receiver 39. I think the added boost and the potential that he has as a uh, as as a potential, I guess, handcuff to to uh, Antonio Gibson adds some upside there. And then you look at Diami Brown, who they added in the draft. I think fills this outside presence opposite Terry that Man. you know they didn't they didn't really have. And I think it also frees up Curtis Samuel to do some more of the stuff that we've been talking slot. about. Yes. Sir. Right. So, and Adam Humphreys as well. I think those two guys allows Curtis Samuel to just basically be Freelance. a wild card, <laughs> you know, just go wherever we need you. That exactly. Week. You know, so, um, you know, I think, you know, Diami Brown added in the third round, he's a speedster with good size. Uh, so I saw him get comp to Terry McLaurin, I think on draft day, which I thought was very interesting. <laughs> Uh, he's going to the board as a wide receiver 90, but does he present a value to you? I think you yes. were alluding to him earlier. Look, yeah, this this is the guy I was talking about that is going to be an, an eye-opener. I'm snagging him everywhere in startups, in rookie drafts. Like, nobody is looking at Dayami Brown. And just because I'm a homer, I know what he brings to the table. I'm stashing this guy. You might not see his full potential this season, but you're definitely going to see it next season. You know, Adam Humphreys is on a one-year deal, so – Based off of how the offense is lined up on the field, you can have four wide receiver sets. You can have five wide receiver sets in an empty backfield. That's what. That's why you brought Fitzpatrick here. He's going to 
survey the field, and within two seconds, he's going to fling that ball. So <laughs> when you have a burner in Dayami Brown, and you tell him, go. You tell Logan Thomas, go across the middle. You tell this guy, run the wheel route. I mean, it's going to be so amazing. I think that Dayami Brown can compete on this team for top three targets. So he's a guy that you want to get late, especially in Dynasty. In redraft, you're, I mean, you're pushing your own luck. But specifically in Dynasty, you want to get this guy. Uh, I think he's going in the third round in rookie draft. So that's that's very great. I mean, that's great value for a guy that's wide receiver 90. He's going to outplay that, you know. He's probably going to end up anywhere between wide receiver 50, 45-ish in that range. And I'm telling you, as he gets comfortable, as the season goes on, that's when you're really going to see this guy. He has all the tools. He's he's a weapon. Um, I was watching some training camp stuff today, and this guy is lightning quick. And he runs some pretty good routes. So he's going to be a guy that grows with this team. And like I said, when he's out there opposite Terry, then you have Curtis Samuel in the slot, which opens up more for this guy. So you're going to have to have a safety over the top, because if not, he's going to take the top off the defense. And Terry can do the same. So I'm excited for that trio. But that's going to be a trio that you're going to see more so next season. This season, if Adam Humphreys is in the game, then, you know, uh, Curtis Samuel is on the outside opposite to uh, Terry. So that wide receiver number two, it's going to it's going to change from game to game. I, I can't really just say, oh, this guy is going to be the wide receiver, too. But in, in, in terms of the wide receiver, two, it's Curtis Samuel right now. But in terms of production, it can be any one of those three guys outside of Terry. So it's going to be interesting. It's going to be game to game, and they're going to ride that hot hand. Yeah, no, it's definitely going to be something to keep an eye on. Somebody we know will definitely be in in conversation for a top target on this team. Uh, That is Logan Thomas. Had quite the breakout year at 29 years old. Mm -hmm. The former fourth-round quarterback made an impact in his fourth year at the tight end position. A lot of it had to do with opportunity, but as uh, J.J. Zacharyson, late-round quarterback, would say, targets are earned, and he was third at the tight end position in that category behind Kelsey and Waller. Thomas finished as a tight end five in fancy points per game behind the four usual suspects. He's currently going (laughs) off the board as the tight end nine, which tight end ADP, again, could be all over the place, Mm -hmm. but still... He's going off the board as a tight end one. Is he fool's gold or as we head into 2021 or is he legit? Oh, he's legit. He's legit. And the funny thing is I did a dynasty startup uh, with some guys and it was a super flex and tight end premium, right? So I went with the zero quarterback. I mean, this is crazy. I went with the zero quarterback rule and the zero tight end rule. So I end up with guys like Jimmy Garoppolo and Teddy Bridgewater and Andy Dalton. Before the draft, before free agency, it was looking good. It's not looking good now in terms of my quarterbacks. But my tight end, the first tight end I selected after, it, it's a, a four-flex league as well. So that's a lot of positions, right? But tell me why I was able to fix all my wide receivers, all my running backs, all my four flexes, and I was able to get Logan Thomas, like in the, I don't know, 14th round? That's a ton of value in a tight end premium league. Logan Thomas is being disrespected. He was tight in five, like you said. He produced some big games towards the end of the season last year, like lots of 
double digit target games and you know 10 reception games here and there nine reception game here seven there so he's gonna be a huge part of the offense because in the air Coriel, it's all about that tight end across the middle think greg olson i'm not saying that he's greg olson but he's gonna be used like a greg olson you know what i'm saying and what makes me so comfortable about logan thomas this year is that the football team did nothing spectacular at tight end to take away targets from logan thomas the only way Logan Thomas loses targets is if they if is if Dayami Brown just explodes and becomes another Terry. Then it's kind of like, okay, you gotta feature two guys on the outside. But he's gonna compete for top three targets. I think he's gonna be number two in targets. I just see it. You know, outside of Terry, he might be number two. And then one of the running, I mean one of the uh yeah, running backs or wide receivers end up three. This guy's gonna eat up the middle of the field. It's gonna be open for him. Logan Thomas is not a guy that gets open on his own. He was schemed open. So same thing is going to happen here. It's just the kind of offense that we run. Tight ends are meant to go across the middle and get nice chunks of yards. So, yeah, I, I'm I'm seeing Logan Thomas as a guy that can get about 65 to 70 balls. Um, we're, we're talking six to 700 yards, which is nice for a tight end outside of the top four prospects, I mean suspects. <laughs> and then, um, you know, if he gets anywhere between three to Five, maybe seven touchdowns, you got to steal. You talk, if you get seven touchdowns, you're talking about a top three, top four tight end again this year. So, no, Logan Thomas is the real deal, and I expect tons of targets. People see the weapons that are coming in and saying it's going to take away from Logan Thomas. I think the opposite. This is only going to but help Logan Thomas. He's going to be too wide open. He's going to be too wide open, and he has decent hands. So outside of uh, Logan Thomas, you have John Bates, a rookie that we drafted in the fifth round, blocking tight end. Uh, we just picked up Ricky Seals Jones. He might be a nice, decent tight end, too, for the team, but eh, he's not taking away targets from Logan Thomas. And then you have Simmons Reyes, who was built in the lab, you know, a guy that played basketball in two lanes, so he doesn't even know how to play tight end. So this just bodes well for Logan Thomas. Buy low because he's cheap right now. No, definitely. I mean, 29 years old, um, going to turn 30 later this year. You know, people think that that's old, but again, you got to remember, this is a guy that's only played tight end for four years. Exactly. Um, he had, he's only really, I mean, he he's played quarterback before that, so it's mm-hmm. not like he has a ton of tread on his tires in terms exactly. of he's getting getting hit and, and things like that. And then you got to remember the tight end position ages differently than other positions as well. So guys, you know, we've seen guys play in, well into their thirties, and so I think. And sorry to cut you off. He's also in his contract year. This is the last year of his two-year contract. So come on, man. You know he's trying to stick around in the league. You know he's trying to get top-tier money. He's supposed to be a pro bowler last year, right? They messed him up. This year, I'm telling you, he's going to go off because he wants to get paid. He wants to get paid like a top-seven tight end. And that's what I'm hearing from the front office. He wants to get paid like a top-seven tight end. So he has to go out there and produce again to get paid. Yeah, I mean, and definitely Ryan Fitzpatrick targets his tight ends as well. We saw mm-hmm. Mike Gusecki last year, uh, and we, you know, we we saw OJ Howard the or OJ Howard and Cameron Bray yep. in Tampa Bay, uh, even Austin Severian Jenkins here with the Jets mm-hmm. got some targets. So Fitzpatrick at the tight end position and the tight end position tend to get along well. Um, so Manny, you know, this has been great, but before we let you go. One more question for you. I need an NFC East prediction. Where does the Washington football team fit? I feel like I know the answer already, but I need you, I need to hear the guests need to hear it. Uh, I mean, all the all the listeners need to hear it. where is the Washington football team finishing? Who's going to be first place in this division? Washington football team is going to finish first. 
Uh, I mean, there's no doubt in my mind. They have the best defense in the league. Dallas, they can't even cover me if I'm lined up out there. So <laughs> their defense is terrible. The Giants, they have really good defense, but it's like Daniel Applepie turnover Jones. I don't know what he's going to give you on the field. So I, I, look, I can't vouch for Daniel Jones. He has all the weapons in the world. I can't vouch for him. Um, that's the only, I think they're more of a competition than the Dallas Cowboys. Dallas Cowboys are going to be scoring and it's going to be great for fantasy. And then you got the Eagles, ah, the little brothers, you know, the, the, the little bro coming in fourth, they're playing, they're rebuilding, you know, they're stacking first round picks after first round picks. So when you look at it, it's Washington in the defense. If Fitzpatrick can do what he does, we win that division easily. You got uh, uh, Giants coming in number two, Dallas coming in number three, and then you have the Philadelphia Eagles coming in number four. Well, there you have it. Washington football team, according to Manny, going to win the NFC East. And, hey, they won it last year, got a quarterback upgrade, so definitely not a bad bet to make. Manny, definitely appreciate you coming on, man. Why don't you tell all the people where they can find you, what you got going on, and uh, how they can get to your content. Absolutely. So um, you guys can follow me at Manny Chakuba on Twitter. Um, you guys, and the Chakuba is spelled C-H-O-K-U-B-A. Uh, you guys can follow me at TS with Manny. That's the Talking Sports with Manny uh, Twitter page that leads you to the YouTube channel, which is going bananas right now so uh the youtube channel i also have a, a podcast the back row redskins show but uh you can follow me at back row redskins so what happens is i put all my back row redskins stuff or just put more redskins content or washington football content on the twitter i mean on the youtube page and it's turned into a washington football youtube channel i mean the subscribers is going up i'm having videos that are hitting 5k views i mean i'm having like 100 comments and, and likes so it's turning into a Washington football channel because I'm telling you, Washington fans are the best. They're the best. They support anything. Like I do Washington, I do uh talking sports with 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 Manny Podcast. Then I then I do like Washington Podcast. The Washington Podcast has like three times the amount of listeners just because the fans are just so passionate. So definitely check out the YouTube channel. I got fantasy football, I got NFL, NBA, uh, don't got no hockey or baseball, so I'm sorry. But <laughs> But I do have Lakers content because I do follow Lakers. I do cover um, Washington. So, man, some got, got some exciting, good stuff going on. Got some awesome guests coming on. So you guys check me out. Yeah, guys, definitely check Manny out. Love his work. He's he's obviously got great uh, analysis and great thought process as well. So uh, as you were able to witness here on this show, so definitely go check it out. And, again, Manny, thank you very much, brother. And everyone, have a good one. We are out of here. Peace. Y'all are already familiar with my next guest. Uh, he was our first guest of the new year, and now he's our first two-time guest of the <laughs> new year. He's uh, He's been busy since then. He's now a writer for Fantasy Pros, uh, also co-host of the Debbie Royal Podcast, also the co-host of the Super uh, Fantasy Football Bros Podcast, while also a member of the Triple Play Fantasy Team. Yes, I'm talking about my guy, Kevin Coleman. Kevin, welcome back, my friend. Hey, man, anytime I can come on and, and talk with you about football, I'm always I'm always down. So I appreciate you having me. Not many people ask me coming back. So that's a good sign, right? I'm getting, uh, getting asked to come back. 
<laughs> no, nah, man, definitely uh, have to have you back. Uh, your episode about wide receivers was definitely a hit. So definitely had to get you back. And, you know, you definitely were were, were willing to come back because the, the topic is very good. <laughs> we're talking about your Dallas Cowboys as we continue our divisional breakdowns here uh, with the final installment of the NFC East. And so as we we talk about the Dallas Cowboys, we look at them from a fantasy perspective. I have to ask you, um, you know, Mike McCarthy, second year as the head coach. I mean, they came into 2020 with high expectations. The roster was pretty loaded, uh, most notably on offense. Uh, You know, we saw the offense come out in those first five weeks of the season. Uh, A lot of times they had to do it because of that porous defense on the other side, which they did try to address through, you know, both free agency and, and the draft. I personally am not a believer in Mike McCarthy, uh, but this division is winnable to say the least, especially when you get, when you consider the talent that, that Dallas has, what are the expectations amongst the fan base? How are y'all feeling? Not just about, you know, the, the season, but about Mike McCarthy and his potential future in Dallas. Yeah, well, you know, Cowboy fans, we are very, you know, we're very realistic, right, John? Like, we know, like, hey, yeah, no, I mean, <laughs> to be honest, I mean, it's pretty much with this team and the way it's built, it's Super Bowl or bust. I mean, that's kind of how it has been the last couple of years. I thought we, I think we missed our window. I'm more of a pessimistic Cowboy fan. I thought two years ago, we, uh, the year that we went in the divisional and, and we had Dak there, and that should have probably been the year or the year Dez caught it. Like, that could have been the year, too, but. I think 10 and 7 would be a very good um, uh, base for us. I mean, we have the second easiest schedule, according to last year's record. So we, the, the, our, our opponents went, like, I think it was, I think they're at 45% win percentage from last year, which doesn't necessarily mean too much, but because we got third in that division, we're getting some easier opponents. Uh, so that definitely helps. So I think 10 and 7, a wild card, maybe compete for a conference or a division championship against probably Washington. Uh, is not out of the question. And then if you get in the playoffs, it's all whatever, right? Like we have Dak, we could have, we could take a run. But if we don't make the playoffs, it's a colossal failure. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely playoff or bust uh, for the Dallas Cowboys. It, it has to be. Um, even felt that way last year. Uh, you know, I'm I'm curious. What about McCarthy? You know, I have to ask you. What are your thoughts on him? I, I thought the the choice was uninspiring when it happened. Uh, I didn't. I, I thought that he went too safe, Jerry, when he hired him. I, I think that the game kind of passed McCarthy by. Uh, and then when they brought in Nolan, he was awful, uh, and he wasn't good either. I think that McCarthy just is not. He's not the. He wasn't the right fit. I wanted Lincoln Riley uh, from Oklahoma. I thought maybe we'd offer him the bank and just say, "Hey, come give me some spread offense and do that." Uh, I do. I am a little bit more um, optimistic about Dan Quinn, who's our new defensive coordinator. He's going to bring in a system and he's a great defensive coordinator. He's a ter- not a great head coach, but with what he's trying to do there, we need help on that defensive side. But we are. You're right. We're stagnant based on McCarthy. Uh, he's he's OK, but he's average. Right. And so you're going to need that that offense to step up in other places. Uh, Kellen Moore being back is big, though. I think having him back because he's a good play caller have some continuity on that offensive side. Uh, so I'm hoping that we can limit what McCarthy is. But, yeah, I, I, I'm not a big McCarthy guy. He's okay. Like, he's okay. Yeah, I mean, Vegas has high expectations for you guys. I think the win total is nine and a half. Um, and that actually is the highest in the division over the Washington football team, which is sitting at eight. So, um, 
you guys definitely do have these expectations. I'm glad you brought up Kellen Moore because he's somebody that I think has a huge effect, had a huge effect on Dak Prescott and what we saw last year. Um, you know, Dak Press or Kellen Moore was given more autonomy as an offensive play caller. Uh, that was one of the, I guess, the deals with Jerry Jones leaving was that Kellen Moore was going to get more of his his fingers on this, his hands on this offense and his fingerprint on it. And we saw Dak Prescott uh, return from, uh, well, he's obviously returning from the ankle injury, which he suffered in week five against the, the New York Giants last year. He was in the middle of what probably would have been his best season had he stayed healthy, if, if he, had he stayed on that trajectory through four weeks. Uh, he was the QB two in fantasy points per game averaging over 30 points per game. He was on a 16-game pace of 804 pass attempts, which is absurd when you think <laughs> about that. 6,760 passing yards, 36 passing touchdowns. Kevin, he's currently going off the board as the QB5 in one quarterback leagues, according to 444's aggregated ADP. Is there any reason to believe that he can't finish higher than that? No, I think, uh, you know, to me, he's a top three quarterback. So I have him ranked as my as QB three in all formats. Uh, and that's just because of how consistent he is. It just look at it, just his career. 2016 as a rookie he was QB six. Next year is QB nine. 2018 QB 10. 2019 QB two. And he was projected to be QB one in last year until he dislocated his ankle. And that gruesome broke his ankle that injury. So you're realistically, he's never finished anything lower than QB10, and he's always on that trajectory of like getting in that top five. Uh, I, I love him. And I, I was looking at the stats today, and I laughed because I, I, I got to give a dig to my Giants fans out there. So he had 13 touchdowns in five games. Daniel Jones had 12 touchdowns in 14 games. So I just, all my Giants people that come out here, I know you have a nice, I think you're having G Men J on to do the Giants. And yeah. why, don't you, why don't you mention that stat to him? Because I love that stat. That Prescott actually threw more touchdowns than Daniel Jones did. That's definitely an interesting stat. I mean, I was looking at even Andy Dalton. Uh, uh, it was like 2,200 passing yards in 11 games to Dak's uh, 1,805. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so it was it was really absurd. But, I mean, um, I think having Dak back is huge, and that's huge for uh, other people on the team as well. I, I don't think anyone suffered more from the lack of Dak in the offense than Ezekiel Elliott. Um, you know, if you look through Dak's first five starts, Zeke was the RB five in PPR leagues and fantasy points per game, averaging over just over 22 points per game. And that's with four games at over 20 points. The other game was just over 17. So not quite 20, but I guess we'll take it. Right. But he was on pace for 102 targets and 77 receptions from Dak Prescott, not to mention the touchdown production that he was seeing, you know, I had Zeke Elliott on a couple fantasy teams last year and I used to get so, so upset at the beginning of the season when Dak, cause Dak had three rushing touchdowns through the first five games. And I'm like, you know, uh, uh, Dak keeps uh, vulturing these touchdowns away from Zeke. And then when I, I'm watching the offense without Dak and I'm like, Oh wow. The only reason they got down there was because of Dak. Uh, Kevin, he's currently the RB7, Ezekiel Elliott is, in terms of ADP. Are fantasy managers sleeping on Zeke? Yeah, I mean, I don't want to sound like a homer, so I try to give as many points as I possibly can. And I think, to your point, to last point about Dak and all this stuff, our defense is still going to be trash, guys. So these are going to be high-scoring games. So, like, we are a fantasy dream because all these guys on the offensive side, you're going to see still shootouts, 30, 40 points. That's why I think Dak still matters, especially here, uh, and especially Zeke. Because when you look at Zeke, 
Only one player has finished in the top 12 running backs the last for five times since 2015, excuse me. That's Zeke. Like, Zeke still finished. Last year, why, he, why Dak was healthy, he was running back three. So, again, if you're looking at kind of what he does, and he gets that those receiving yards, and, and he gets targets. He's not, he's not bad there. I am not a Tony Pollard stand. So, if you're a Tony Pollard stand out there, I'm sorry, because I don't think he's – He's not the handcuff like I would want. Like he's he's a very borderline. Hey, if Zeke gets injured, okay, he's good. But he's not going to take the workload away from Zeke. I think Zeke dealt with poor line last year. Everybody was hurt. It was a terrible offensive line. Andy Dalton, Ben DiNucci was throwing the ball. Like guys like that. So like when you're looking at what could have went wrong, it did. And then he still finished, I believe, at running back nine, eleven. I think is where he kind of finished last year, or nine somewhere in that area, depending on if you're looking at PPR standard. So he's still a very good back. He's going to score touchdowns. So realistically, I think I have him right now at about like 1,100 yards and eight touchdowns. And then you're looking at targets and receptions. He could still get those, you know, 30 to 40 receptions. So you're still looking at a top running back. And I think he's a value. I think he's even a value in dynasty leagues. Yeah, no, Zeke Elliott, I mean, he's he's just a grown man, bro. Like, And, and I have him as, the, as my RB5, actually. Uh, just because when you look at, again, the workload that he's going to get, you expect it to get, I'm, I'm with you. I don't think Tony Pollard is going to challenge him for, for touches or carries in this offense. I mean, he's a nice change of pace back, but Zeke Elliott is a workhorse. You just let that man work. Um, you're right. He was the RB9 in PPR leagues and in, in, in total fancy points. Uh, it was still 14.9 fancy points per game in, mm-hmm. in PPR leagues. That's still respectable number there. It just wasn't. You know, you drafted Zeke thinking he was a top three option. Some people were even saying that he was probably the safest pick in the draft. Um, and, you know, it just turned out that he wasn't be- because of things that he had no control over. Yeah. Um, but like, you you know, we brought up Kellen Moore earlier. I think one of the things that Kellen Moore made an emphasis of or, you know, really em- tried to emphasize last year was throwing the ball to Zeke Elliott and the running backs. And I think that we saw that, like I said, on pace for 102 targets, that's a really high number for Ezekiel Elliott. Mm-hmm. Um, and so if that can continue, if that trend can continue, then I definitely like uh, Zeke as a value play headed into 2021, especially, like you said, in Dynasty Leagues. Oh, yeah, he's getting – if you play Dynasty, I saw him going the fifth round of the league. Like, I think Zeke's dead, uh, according to, like, people out here drafting. And, you know, he's not going anywhere, everybody out there. Like, he's going to have two years now. Like, yeah, the contracts, he's stuck there. So, you realistically, you're going to get this year, I think, in redraft. He's a great buy because I think you can get him late in the first round, uh, 7, 8, 9, 10, depending on your league. And then you grab him, you have him second year, too. Uh, or, excuse me, in that second round, you could grab another running back. Those are two very solid pieces. Uh, and then Zeke, I think in Dynasty, he's going to be there for two years. Uh, there's nowhere going anywhere. He's still has, he's going to put up running back one numbers in, for two years. Yeah, no, Zeke is definitely a a, a more than capable running back, yeah. and is is going to be just fine. <laughs> so you know, let's move on to the the wide receiver position. Ceedee Lamb, Amari Cooper, Amari Cooper, Ceedee Lamb. Amari Cooper was the wide receiver eleven last year. Uh, through Dak's five first Dak's first five starts, uh, averaging 17.8 fancy points per game. CD Lamb, wide receiver 16 during that span, 17.1 fancy points per game. Again, the first five starts is going to be a common theme here because the offense had made some changes, like I had said, giving more autonomy to Kellen Moore. Uh, and it, so, to me, I think it's important, even though with the small sample size, 
to still look at that offense to see what they were trying to do, what they were trying to accomplish, and how they were utilizing all these new players. Um, but both of these guys were on pace for over 1,350 receiving yards. Cooper was on pace for more targets, but Lamb had the edge in yards and touchdowns. They're almost going back-to-back in, in terms of ADP. Cooper, wide receiver 13. Lamb is the wide receiver 15. Which of these guys do you prefer, and does one or potentially even both present a value to you? I think they both are, uh, and it's weird because I love Lamb. Like I'm a CD Lamb guy, and I, I Cooper for me, John. I, I think the hard part for Cooper for me is like I don't like him as a football player because I feel like he's inconsistent and doesn't make catches in big time moments. As I've watched him the last couple of years, he kind of disappears. But in fantasy, he's fine. Like he's it's, it's but it's hard as a fan. So if you listen to this, like. I know I'm a fantasy analyst or whatever you want to call me, but as a fan of the team, I struggle drafting Cooper on my fantasy teams because I look at him as a player, if that makes sense. Like, I'm like, ah, he's inconsistent. He's going to throw up a, a – he'll throw up 20 points one game, and he's going to throw up zero the next. Whereas Lamb, I feel like last year, when you just look at the raw numbers like you talked about where he was at, even though he had all those changes, Ben DiNucci, Garrett Gilbert, Andy Dalton, all that – he had 74 receptions, um, 74 receptions, which ranked him second in rookies, obviously, Justin Jefferson. 935 yards, second, and five touchdowns. So he still put up pretty good numbers with terrible quarterback play. And so that just – I love that. And it also in the slot is where Lamb is going to eat. So that's kind of where I'm looking at with that. Like he saw 101 uh, out of his 109 season targets there, 69 of his receptions there, 877 yards. So look for him in the slot, and he's going to kill it. Yeah, man, I, I definitely agree. I mean, I have I put my rankings out recently. Uh, Lamb is my wide receiver eight in PPR leagues right now. Uh, I am very confident in, in what C.D. Lamb can do this year in this Dallas offense, especially with Dak being back. You know, he it was just like you said, from that slot position, he, him and Dak were just it was just on cue every time they're just running these these option routes down the middle of the field. And it just seemed uncoverable. And they had already established this chemistry and I'm with you on Amari Cooper man I mean I, listeners listeners of this show will, will they'll be able to tell you when when uh, Amari Cooper comes up I have like a conniption because you know he's like you said he's gonna throw 20 points up one game but then he'll throw an absolute dud and he'll finish mm -hmm. as a wide receiver he'll finish as a wide receiver one but you're just not gonna like how he finished as the wide receiver one so um, yeah, I'm, I'm definitely curious to see how that plays out. Like I said, I'm betting on lamb. You are too. Checked out your banner. That's pretty dope. <laughs> <laughs> um, Michael Gallup though, where does he fit in into the, all of this? Because, you know, let me say this as much as I love CD lamb, I absolutely love Michael Gallup. I mean, I obviously love CD lamb's a, a you know, better player, but Michael Gallup is to me has been, um, He's been a player that we just kind of been waiting for him to, to become something. And it's it really not because of his fault. Again, Dallas spends a first round pick on C.D. Lamb when you're we're expecting Michael Gallup to really take that leap. I think he was a guy that a lot of people talked about as a buy candidate going in the last year. I know I did. Um, so I think teams would be lucky to have him as their wide receiver, too. But he happens to be Dallas's wide receiver <laughs> three. Uh, he's the deep threat in this offense, again, through Dak's first five games, averaged 20 uh, yards per reception, was on a 16-game pace of 1,100 yards on 54 catches. Uh, now, again, because of the role, he's prone to these spike weeks and not really all that consistent, finished as the wide receiver 38 last year on the year. 
but going off the board is wide receiver 44. Kevin, how do you value him heading into 2021? Yeah, he's a tough one. Because like you said, like I love Gallup. But then we got Lamb, and it's just unfortunate because he was going to be the wide receiver two there, and you would see all this volume, and then Lamb fell. And you have to take a guy like Lamb. Uh, I just I look at like last year, and he finished with 800 yards and five touchdowns, despite playing with both those guys and having that quarterback play that he had, like we've been mentioning. So the talents there, I really think you know it's it, it's crazy to say this because CD's on the team, but Gallup's kind of their best big play threat. Like when you watch him play and you and you see kind of what he can do, he's fantastic when he's going vertical. And if 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 CD is in the slot, that puts a lot of pressure on that cornerback two or cornerback three to guard Gallup. So when you're looking at maybe defensive scripts, Gallup's going to definitely eat there. So I can see him having some big games. I think the biggest question mark I have, he's probably going to be, I don't want to say inconsistent. I just don't know if the target's going to be there realistically consistently, right? Like, okay, hey, he might get eight targets one game because they key on, you know, Lamb and and, and Cooper. And looking at that, like he, he like last year, one game he got 12 targets, next game he got one. Like, that's kind of what I'm worried about. Like, he's a pretty easy, good play for best ball. And I think he's a pretty good play for Dynasty because, like you said, he'll be a wide receiver, too, somewhere in a couple years. Um, I still think they move on from Cooper after this year because that contract has an out. And I think they just roll it back with CD and, and Gallup. Um, but if they don't do that, I still think he goes somewhere. But I think the only thing I hesitate about Gallup is that if you're if you're playing redraft, it's going to be a headache trying to figure out, OK, who who's going to go off this week because I'm, I, I'd be nervous about that. But I do think in this offense, he'll finish as a wide receiver three. Like he was borderline that last year. So that's not a bad get if you get him as a wide receiver 44. Yeah, no, I, I definitely think if you're, you're, you're picking, I mean, deeper leagues, you're, you're going to have a Michael Gallup on your bench and maybe be a bi-week fill-in or something like that. In shallower leagues, I'm, I'm probably picking up Michael Gallup off the waiver wire mm-hmm. for bi-weeks and things like that. Um, or if I'm, you know, I'm, I'm down, I'm expect I'm projected to lose and I need some upside and Dallas isn't like a 55 point over under game, you know, let me shoot Michael, let me throw Michael Gallup in my lineup. But what do you, what about from a dynasty perspective? You, you, are you trying to buy Michael Gallup right now in the anticipation that he could either be someone else's number two receiver or stay in Dallas as the number two receiver if Amari Cooper is out? Oh yeah, I'm buying this. Uh, out of Michael Gallup because I just think I believe in the talent like and I do like I said I think I think Cooper's gonna go because that contract's too big at some point Dallas is gonna run out of money like I think the salary cap is real what do you think John I feel like I I don't know everybody (laughs) the the Saints keep kicking it down the road and and to be perfectly fair in terms of like the Cowboys we have some salary cap issues we paid a lot of people and with Dak's contract like I think Cooper's gonna be if I was the Cowboys what I would be doing right now is trying to get rid of Cooper, locking up Lamb for cheaper, or excuse me, um, for Gallup cheaper right now. So offer him a two-year, $12 million deal. And then you lock him in, and then you get rid of Cooper. Now you have your wide receiver, too. I mean, he's he literally in dynasty, he's going as wide receiver 49. So when I'm looking at what I'm looking at, so that's that's too easy, I feel like, to grab him. Um, and in trade value right now, I got him for like the 210. So if you can do that, which in this draft class is not... It, it, mm-hmm. it, who Amon Ross St. Brown, I think, is who I tra- end up trading him for. Um, I've seen him go straight up for Damian Harris in a league, and I also saw him go for Miles Gaskin. Uh, so that's kind of where his value's at. I don't mind doing that. Um, Gaskin I like, but if you can kind of add something to that, like let's say you added a second to that, I would like mm-hmm. to do that too. Uh, but Gallup's a good, a good trade target, especially because I think his value has nowhere else to go but up, like in terms of like – if he leaves, if he goes somewhere else, becomes a wide receiver too. If he's Dallas, imagine if he's Dallas's wide receiver too. 
that's where the value is at. It's a little risky, but that's how you get ahead in Dynasty. Yeah, no, definitely. I mean, the only way I think it becomes risky is if you see a team come out and try to pay him as their wide receiver one, you know, and and, and try to use him that way. Because I, yeah. I don't I don't think that that's the player that he is. I think he's better suited as as a wide receiver, too. But I think Dallas is where you see the highest ceiling there. Um, moving on to the tight end position, man, because I mean, I, I have Blake Jarwin here. I have him written <laughs> down, but. We know Dak likes to target the tight end. It doesn't really matter who it is, to be honest. He just likes targeting the middle of the field. We saw Dalton Schultz step in, get 31 targets in five games with Dak, averaged over 10 fantasy points per game in uh, PPR leagues and was a tight end 12 in total points through that time as well. Uh, you know, the thought was always that Jarwin was the better athlete here, you know, with the fact that, you know, the fact that he should recover from this ACL that he suffered in week one, he you know, he should have no issue assuming that starting position again. So and the ADPs kind of reflect that Jarwin going off the board is tight end 24. Schultz is the tight end 27. Is there any value to extract here? Yeah, I, I, I this is kind of hard. I mean, the tight end position is so bad uh, that like after you get to a certain point, you're just kind of hoping like, hey, yeah, I can. I can grab him late. I mean, he's not a bad get like late. And he's probably going to be a streaming tight end in redraft, right? Like, oh, hey, you know, my my guy's out. I mean, let me go grab. Oh, oh, Blake Drummond's on the waiver wire. Let me pick him up. Because I just don't think just like Gallup, the consistent targets will be there. And I think it's going to be a touchdown dependent situation. Like, oh, he had three catches for a touchdown. Uh, because we like we said, they will target him in the red zone. But I, I just will say if that offensive line is better – and Kellen Moore tends to, when you watch his play call, which I've seen now the last couple of years, he likes to run the ball, but he does a lot of RPOs in the red zone too with Dak. That's why Dak gets a lot of those touchdowns. I don't know how much they're going to run that anymore after the injury. Uh, but you'll see, I don't know if the targets will be as much as we as we saw last year uh, for, for Jarwin. I don't mind him. Schultz, I, he's, I'd rather have Jarwin, to be honest. I think he is the better athlete. Uh, Schultz is fine. Uh, but again, these guys are such late wires. I don't see a reason to draft these guys in redraft. As far as dynasty goes, I guess. Uh, but even then, like their value is pretty low. Um, but I don't mind like just filling them. But if we're being honest and being real, like I know you like to be, like after the top eight tight ends, it's just if you're hoping any of those guys kind of break out, I don't know necessarily if Jarwin's the guy to do that. I mean, it's basically touchdown dependent option. And you're praying that he gets four or five targets. Yeah, I mean, when you're looking at tight ends that late, especially in redraft, we're looking for upside there. We're looking for athletes. And Blake Jarwin coming off a torn ACL <laughs> does not scream upside. So, yeah, he's a guy that I'll probably – I will, like you said, stream off the waiver wire if, I, if the tight end I drafted doesn't do anything for me through the first week or two. And, hey, Blake Jarwin got seven targets last week. Then, like, yeah, I'll go yeah. scoop him up. Um but I mean, yeah, I mean, to ahead. be fair, wouldn't you rather have like Gerald Everett or Chris Herndon? Yeah, no, I, I would. I mean, don't even bring up Chris Herndon. You already know how, <laughs> how the feelings I have there. But no, I, no, being serious. I no, absolutely. Gerald Everett, I think, screams. He's the he's the guy that we're looking for when we talk about the upside. Right. Yeah. Like athletic guy, got a quarterback upgrade, uh, going to a better offense, all these different things. So, yeah. And that's kind of where they're going. Like, they're going after Jarwin. And in terms of, like, upside, I actually like Everett way better. Hernan's there, like I said. Um, 
and then after that, it gets kind of whatever. We've got Tim Tebow down there. I don't think I'm going to draft Tim Tebow. But you guys, got those two guys I'd rather have. Like, I just, yeah. when I'm looking at it, even Pat Furmouth uh, from Pittsburgh, if, if, uh, if Ebron isn't really there, he's still a late option to do there. But And even Evan Ingram's going historically low. Like, he's going around Jarwin, too. I'd rather probably yeah. grab Ingram if, if, or if that was the case. So that's kind of where I'm at with him. I just don't think that offense really needs tight ends, to be honest. And it's going to be dependent on a touchdown. Uh, here or there, but they're going to run, and and I think and Zeke's going to take away a lot of those red zone opportunities for him. Yeah, I mean definitely. But Kevin, you tell me which tight end is not dependent on touchdowns, not named Travis Kelsey. I'm just kidding. Yeah, <laughs> no, it's true. Like, it, it's true. Like, I, dude, I mean, Kyle Pitts is already ranked like what fourth tight end off the board. Yeah, that's why you know that tight ends are just like people are just throwing darts like it's like oh well i guess he'll be there and even Pitts, like i think i have him i know you do your stuff i think i have him at like i think his floor kind of where he's safe at is like 800 yards and probably six touchdowns and maybe if he can get the 60 catches and i think we're and realistically if he does that he's probably dynasty tight in one that's how crazy that is yeah i i uh i put out a tweet last week that after the julio trade that uh kyle Pitts should go over a thousand <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's he he probably should. Right. Like, I'm just trying to be I'm trying to temper my expectation. Yeah, like, if no, he, absolutely. I think a floor of 800 is good. And if he hits a thousand dollars, it's going to blow up. Like if it hits a thousand, I don't think I can be on social media anymore because people are going to be calling him the next dynasty god. Like, it's going to be bad out there. Yeah, man. All right, Kevin. Well, I don't want to take up too much more of your time. But one last question before I let you go. How do you see this division playing out? Where do the Dallas Cowboys finish? Man, I think every guy you have on here is going to say we're going to win the division. What I would say is I I think that the team I'm most worried about is Washington. So their defense is legit. Like, they have a top defense in the NFL. Uh, I think our offense is the best in that division. Uh, so I, it's going to come down to Usher Washington. Uh, the Eagles are trash. I don't Eagles fans out there. You can say what you want to me, but you guys are not good. Uh, you just, I, I will be honest. The Eagles are the, my least favorite team in the NFL <laughs> of all time. Like I can get by giants fans, the Washington football fans. I have this weird, I feel bad for you guys. Cause you've been bad for so long. And Snyder's there. Eagles fans. You guys could kiss. Me. Like I, the Eagles, the Eagles are just, <laughs> and I have Eagles friends. I'm sorry, but you guys, you guys are disrespectful. Uh, if it wasn't for Nick Foles saving you guys, you wouldn't be nothing. Like, I just can't do that. So they're going to be third uh, or fourth, excuse me. The Giants should be third because I think Saquon's going to be there. I just don't believe in Daniel Jones. Like, I don't I don't, I don't, don't think he's any good. And I think Fitzpatrick is going to struggle, too. I mean, everybody's building Fitzpatrick up as, like, the next guy. And it's like, do you forget Fitzpatrick played for, like, 20 teams? There's a reason Fitzpatrick's played for so many teams. Uh, and I think he'll th- throw him out of some games. He's going to have those four or five interceptions. And I think our offense is going to be good enough to get by of our defense. So I think if we finish 10-7, we'll win the division with the Washington right behind us in a wild card spot, and then we will make the playoffs. I think that's where I'm, I'm, I'm kind of leaning right now. Yeah, I mean, well, actually, you, you are the final guest on this, ah. on this uh, rundown. And so all three of them said Washington. You were the first person to say Dallas. Don't want to accuse you of, of any homerism here. <laughs> um, I also have Dallas winning the division, so I guess I'll put that out there as well. I do have Dallas uh, pick to win this division. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, I definitely see your points there. 
Ryan Fitzpatrick, eighth team in how many years, I, I have no idea. But we have seen at times when he's been counted on to be the guy, it's that's when Fitz, that's when he gets Fitz tragic on us. But, yeah. you know, when he's the backup and he's got nothing to lose and he's he's playing his heart out, um, that's when you see the Fitz magic come out. So we'll see which, which Ryan Fitzpatrick we get in the 2021 season. But, Kevin... Thank you again for coming on. Really appreciate you. Uh, again, make sure you're following Kevin at Dubois, D-A-B-O-Y-S underscore 22 on Twitter. Make sure you're checking out his work. Kevin, if I miss anything or if you have anything going on, the people need to pay specific attention to what is up. Let the people know. Yeah, man, I appreciate you having me on. As always, uh, great show, great podcast. I, you know, you can find me um, at, find me on Twitter. You can always message me. Uh, you know, you can find my work at Fantasy Pros. Uh, Debbie works there, and then I'm also the co-host of the Debbie Royale, which is coming on pretty strong. We're pretty happy about that. And if you're interested in college football, Debbie, just for fun, like we're doing a mascot showdown on Tuesday nights, and we go at 9:30 Eastern. Uh, every Tuesday, and then I have my other show at 7:30 Eastern, and that's just the Dynasty Redraft show. I'm having a lot of fun with that. Uh, so you could always find me there, and just appreciate anybody that checks my stuff. Uh, I'm just some random guy that likes talking football, and I jump on here every once in a while, and, and I appreciate you guys. Yeah, well, Kevin, we definitely appreciate you. Appreciate all your work. You're definitely great. So everyone, make sure you go check Kevin out, and um, everyone, thank you for checking out the pod. Hope you enjoyed it, and we will catch y'all later. <laughs>